Let us appreciate God even at this moment. Let us thank God for being our God, for opening our eyes to the truth in the Word of God, for making us a people that have a promise, for making our existence here worth it. Appreciate him because he's the almighty God with whom everything is possible. Without him, nothing is possible. Thank our God for sustenance, for keeping us alive. To yet be a partaker in another workers retreat this year. Last year, because of the pandemic, it did not hold. But this year, God has made it that even when the pandemic is ravaging other areas, He gave us peace. He gave us respite. He kept us in safekeeping. Thank Him for His provision, for protection, even now that the crime, there is increase in crime. For God has continued to keep his people. Thank him for provision. Even in all challenges, God has continued to provide for his people. I appreciate him. Present yourself anew unto the Lord that this our gathering will be a blessing unto us no blemish will be found in us that his blessing will be upon us that no echan will be found in our midst this morning that the lord will sanctify his people even as we gather in his presence this morning as a family. Call on God's presence to be here. That his presence will be with us in all that we do today. That that which he has prepared for each and every one of us that will be partakers of that knowledge, that understanding, that wisdom, that it will be ours, even as we gather. That after this meeting, that will be energized, that we will be more in, more in wisdom concerning things, his things. Appreciate the Lord for the privilege to serve in his vineyard at different capacity. To be of service. It is a special privilege because out of many, we happen to be the ones that are serving as workers in this congregation. I appreciate this, God. Pray for grace 
to be found worthy workmen. That at the end of our journey, that will be found worthy. Anything that will bring any dent in our stewardship, that will cancel. That at the end, we will render account of our stewardship unto the Lord. Beside you, there is no other God. All other gods are the works of human hands. You are the only true God. We appreciate you. We thank you for your loving kindness, for your steadfast love. We thank you for making us a people according to your will. We appreciate you and we say may your name be praised forever and ever in Jesus' name. Father Lord, as we gather once again, we ask that your presence will be with us. Any barrier, any obstacle that will make us not to tap from you this morning, we cancel in Jesus' name. Father Lord God, we thank you. We ask for the grace to remain your workmen till the end of our days here. Father, all that we are going to do this day, Father, may it be according to your will. Speak to us in different ways that we will understand. And Lord, may it be like a seed planted in a fertile ground, that it will bear multiple good fruits, that at the end of the day, all the honor, all the glory will be ascribed unto your heavenly name. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Our Father and our Lord, we are here in your presence, looking unto you to steer our hearts up into the things that are uppermost in your heart. Lord, we pray that you will show us mercy. Kindle fresh fire in us. Open our eyes to see things the way you see them. Lord Jesus, we plead that you will walk in us what only you can do today. That we will live here into, our, into the various corners of our communities to labor to bring men to the knowledge of salvation. Lord, we pray that you will help us to see men the way you are seeing them. Please help us. Whatever thing that, has, that have covered our eyes, tear them away this day, that we will see clearly. Lord Jesus, unless you help us, 
No one else can help us. Even we ourselves, we can't help ourselves. But we know you will help us. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Good morning to us, dear brothers and sisters. Uh, we, we bless God for this time. We will be interacting together in God's presence, um, looking at a topic that is very familiar, we are very familiar with. Um, we pray that he will help us to learn one or two things from the topic we are dealing with this uh, uh, morning in this retreat. The harvest is white, very white. The harvest is white. Um, we will take our reading from John chapter 4. Again, it's a very familiar um, uh, passage of the scripture. And um, we want to learn a few things from the interaction of Jesus with the Samaritan woman in that well at Sychar. Um, we will take the reading from verse 27 and we will end maybe somewhere around verse 38. The harvest is white. Um, and upon this came his disciples. No, let me start from, let me start from verse 25. Um, the woman said unto him, I know that the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, which when he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee, I am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore, say the disciples to another, had any man brought him ought to eat? Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto thee, lift up your eyes 
and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. That both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And hearing is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labor, and ye are entered into their labors. May the Lord bless his word in Jesus' name. We are looking at the harvest is white. Uh, just to build uh, uh, a foundation for this discussion, we know that uh, the interaction of, this, of the Lord Jesus with the, with the Samaritan woman, uh, for us to understand the import of it and some applications of it in our current situation, um, we would do good to look at the relationship that existed between the Samaritans and the Jews of Jesus' days. The Samaritans and the Jews were like two opposing uh, people. They had nothing in common. A typical Jewish man and a rabbi for that matter like Jesus would have nothing to do with the Samaritans. The ordinary Jewish man would actually avoid going through Samaria, let alone uh, shaking hands or eating or even drinking from a cup that the Samaritan had used. The Jews saw the Samaritans as, I think we can call them Osu. <laughs> okay. They saw the Samaritans as Osu outcasts. There was a sense of religious superiority in the hearts of the Jews over and above the Samaritans. And the Samaritans in their own class saw themselves as, you know, no, you know normally everybody... People, different groups have their own estimation of themselves. They themselves, even though they knew that the Jews looked down at them, they themselves were, were in their own class. So normally, there was no free interactions between a typical Jew and a typical Samaritan. And Jesus offended all of this. First, that he was to pass through Samaria was very annoying to his disciples. They couldn't understand why Jesus would, would you know, take the, would leave the shortcut and take a longer route. Okay, no, would, uh, 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 would pass through Samaria in the first place. That was very offensive to the disciples. Now, when they got to Sica and Jesus sat down there, and the disciples went to the village to buy food, Jesus even offended them more by discussing 
with a woman and not just any woman, a harlot, a prostitute, and an and outcast of outcasts. The disciples were so offended. But, you see, what they were seeing, the way they were seeing the woman, the way they were seeing Saika, the way they were seeing the Samaritans were different from the way Jesus was seeing them. So it was in that kind of um, live your life, let me live my life, that Jesus began to bridge the gap in order to save the woman and the entire village. Now, as we look at our current situation, where the tension is high between the Christian South, do I say the Muslim North? <laughs> Maybe it will, not be, it will not be exactly correct. But let's assume, let's assume, let's polarize it for easy understanding that the entire North, the North is Islam, the, the South is Christian, okay? Even though the South is not entirely Christian, we know that. Neither is the North entirely Islam, we know that. There is this tension everywhere. The tension of flanization, the tension of hype of the tension, and we as Christians, we are caught in the web. That sometimes we are, they, they, we are in a tension whether to join this way or to join this way. And oftentimes, we also seek to drag Jesus to take position along with us. I hope you know that now. But you see, just like Jesus was neutral, he was neither Jew nor Samaritan, neither did he clap hand for the Samaritans nor clap hand for the Jews. He was just Jesus, the Savior of all men. So the disciples perhaps thought that since he was their master, maybe they would succeed in making him to think like a Jew. And Jesus did not think like a Jew. So as we look at this, we believe, we pray God to help us to learn few lessons. So that we, in all situations at all times, when we look at this harvest, we will not be thinking culturally, nor politically, nor try to allow the situations on ground to dictate how we reason or how we act, but that we will see that, yes, the harvest is white, and we will do what the Lord will do. Praise God. I will just look at this um, topic in three uh, uh, subtopics. Uh, the first which we would like to deal with is the state of the harvest as seen by the Lord of the harvest. The state of the harvest as seen by the Lord of the harvest. Number two, we'll look at short supply of laborers. Short supply of laborers. Okay. And number three, we will look at how then, how do we raise more laborers for the harvest? How? How do we raise more laborers in our, in our various um, uh, areas of life? How do we raise more laborers to join us? 
Right. Number one, the, the, the state of the harvest as seen by the Lord of the harvest. Okay. Uh, let me, let's look at Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We're looking, we'll just look at the state of the harvest and we will look at how the master himself, how he sees the harvest. Why is it important for us to do that? Because just like the disciples that were with Jesus, sleeping with him, traveling with him, hearing his sermon moment by moment from his heart, they did not see the harvest the way the master was seeing the harvest. Even so, in our days, we still have that problem of vision, correct sight. Matthew chapter 9, if we look at verse 35 to verse 38. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages. What was he doing? Teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Verse 36. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he turned to his disciples and said unto them, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. How did the Lord see the harvest then? And how is he seeing the harvest even now? First, he sees the harvest, the multitudes of people. You know, he was traveling from village to village, from city to city, preaching and teaching and healing. And he lifted his eyes across those villages and cities and saw the multitudes. And his heart was struck with compassion. And he turned to the disciples and gave them and spoke to them. Now, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. On them. Why? Because they fainted. Number one, the harvest is a fainting harvest. Many of you are uh, doctors and nurses and so on. You know what it is to faint, isn't it? 
A person who is fainting is unconscious temporarily, you know, maybe as a result of um, uh, short supply of oxygen to the brain. Was it physical faint that Jesus was talking about here? Certainly not. The people were physically okay, physically strong, but Jesus was seen beyond the physical veneer. Men who, are, who were fainting. A fainting man is unconscious. Even in our current situation, when we see men all around us, because we don't often see the way Jesus sees, we don't often recognize that these men truly they are fainting, very unconscious. That if we do nothing about them, they will soon sleep away. So the harvest, the multitudes of men that are around us from, from within this hospital to the ends of Enugu State, to the ends of the southeast and beyond, souls are in fainting mode. People are fainting. And you know, what is happening in our land today, I hope you know that there are, there are signs of, of fainting. That people are spiritually uh, in a deep condition of fainting. That is why when some people will kill others, they don't even know that they were doing anything wrong. Huh? They, don't even, they don't even know that it, it is a wrong thing, you know, to kill someone else. Signs of fainting all around us. When Jesus saw men, when he saw them, he, you know, he had healed them, he had preached to them, and he continued to do so, but the more he did, the more he saw men who were fainting and fainting. I pray that God will help us to see souls who are fainting all around us. Just like the disciples didn't see what Jesus was seeing, that is our problems today. We are not always seeing men who are fainting around us. When we see people, sinners, even prospering in their sins. Many times we think that they are enjoying, isn't it? And that we who are following Christ, we have, been, we have not been allowed to have the liberty to live freelance lives. When someone thinks like that, compassion, he cannot see the, faint, the faintness of souls around him or her. How do you see men around you? Oftentimes we see men, we see their physical appearance, we see their, what they have, what they, don't, what they have, and how they are looking, and all of that. And we are not seeing beyond the physical to see how men are fainting, even within their physical bodies. The harvest is a fainting harvest. Number two, 
The harvest is a scattered harvest. Scattered harvest. Again, in that verse, verse 36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad. Again, this is not physical scattering that Jesus was talking about. When he saw the people, they were not just in a fainting mode. They were scattered. Very scattered. Very disorganized. So this, the harvest is a scattered harvest. Can someone open to Colossians chapter 1 verse 27? And read Colossians 1 27. Let's, no, yeah, one seventeen rather. Colossians one seventeen. Let's understand a bit of what it is that the harvest is scattered. Colossians one twenty-seven. Has anybody seen it? Okay. Colossians one twenty-seven. Yes. The glory of this mystery, yeah. the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.17, I said, sorry. Colossians 1.17. Yeah. And he is before all things. Yes. And by him all things consist. Okay. He is before all things. And by him all things consist. Does anybody have NIV? NIV, yes, sir. Yes. Yes. And in him all things hold together. So what happens outside him? What happens outside him? All things scattered abroad. When Jesus saw the multitude they were not yet in him. And he saw them as long as they were outside, they were scattered because in him all things hold together. As we look at the condition of the harvest, as far as Jesus is concerned, any man who is not in him, in other words, any man who is outside Christ, no matter how sophisticated he is, no matter how simple he is, learned or illiterate, rich or poor, no, so long as he is not in Christ, such a one, is, is living a scattered life. I'm sure you know that now. He said, in him, all things hold together. Outside him, all things are scattered. And you know, 
definitively, everyone we see is either in Christ or outside Christ, isn't it? Everyone we see is either in Christ or outside Christ. If anyone is in Christ, his life will be gathered together and continue to be gathered together. But if anyone is outside the border, outside Christ, his life will be scattered and will continue to scatter unless there is a recovery. And that is why Jesus, each time he, he, he saw the multitude and each time he is still seeing the multitude today, he knows those who are in him. He knows those who are not in him. All those who are not in him, they are scattered abroad, helpless, reckless, like sheep having no shepherd. Why? Because they are outside the sheepfold. And as long as they are not within the sheepfold, their lives, they are scattered. So the harvest is a scattered harvest. And we are to go out there to gather the scattered harvest into the barn. So we must not forget this. When we come across people, no matter how wonderful they are, let us not forget that if that fellow or if those people are not in Christ, they are living scattered lives. They are scattered. Their thoughts are scattered. Their lifestyles are scattered. So the harvest is a scattered harvest. Number four. Number, number three, right? Yeah. Number three. We return to where we read John chapter four. John chapter four. Jesus saw the, the harvest and he spoke to the disciples that the harvest is white, very white, ready to be harvested. John 4, 35. Say it. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white, or ready to harvest. NIV, who has NIV? Can someone read NIV? King James said, lift up your eyes. How does NIV put it? John 4.35. Anybody who has seen it can read for us. Yes. Do you not say four months more and yeah. then the harvest? Yes. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. Yes. They are ripe for harvest. Open your eyes. So as far as Jesus was concerned, what was the condition of the eyes of the disciples? Their eyes were closed. Very closed. And let's look a brief, uh, briefly how closed their eyes were. First, you know, they didn't like Jesus 
passing through Samaria or Sica. They didn't like him talking with that woman. But see, where did they go to buy food from? Where did they go to buy food from? From the same place. They didn't want Jesus to pass through. They bought the food from the same Samaritans that they, they didn't like. They went there. All they could see was their food to buy to eat. But they didn't see the lostness of the souls of men in Samaria. They didn't. You don't know what we do too. Most of the times. We go to buy suya from those who are selling suya and we eat and enjoy the suya. We go to buy onions, carrots, cucumber from the onyaosas. We eat. We enjoy. But do we always see how scattered their lives are? No. The disciples went to Samaria. They didn't see what Jesus was seeing in Samaria. Look, let me tell us, let's admit that we don't often see men the way Jesus see, men, see them. We are not even seeing the situation in Nigeria, even the way Jesus is seeing it. One man of God put on his status a few days ago. He said, if you are a Christian in the South and you don't have gone, you are, you are not serious. This is a man of God. Then he put again that whether you believe what he's saying or not, don't bother to DM him. You don't have to believe him. But he, his conclusion is that if you don't have a gun now, you are, you are not serious. So is he seeing well? He's not. Is he seeing what Jesus is seeing? No. So Jesus spoke to the disciples just like he's speaking to us now. Open your eyes. Look to the feeds. See how ready they are. You know, do you know that the disciples never saw that that Samaritan woman was ready to be harvested? They never saw her. Even the woman herself didn't see herself ready for salvation that day. Neither did the disciples see Sica ready for harvest. But for Jesus, as soon as he saw the woman, in fact, before he got there, he saw that today this woman was ready to be saved. It was for her sake he decided to sit at the well and allow the disciples to go to the town to go and look for food just so that they could give him space because their mindset was already not in the same frequency with his. Their presence around him will hinder the free flow of the communication between him and the, and the, and the, and the, and the woman. So he allowed a, all of them, 12 of them, to go and look for food. Do you see how, how blind the disciples were? How is it that 12 disciples will leave their master 
They left him alone. All of them went to look for food. Is that a correct thing to do? Somebody should have said, no, let, the, let 11 or 12, 10 go. The rest of us will stay with. But they, they didn't think that way. They all left and Jesus deliberately allowed them to go. So that before they could arrive, he would have finished the main task. They, they did not see the woman to be ready to be harvested. But Jesus was seeing a woman who was ready. Number two, the disciples did not see the Samaria or Saika where they went to buy food was ready to be harvested. All they saw was the food they, they bought. That was all they saw. But for Jesus, he was seeing that that whole city, that whole town, that day was ready to be harvested. We need to honestly keep praying for ourselves. God, help me to see the way you are seeing. Let me see men the way you are seeing them. Because that is a deficiency in, in disciples. We don't often see what is the priority of the master is not often our priority. How he sees men is not the way we often see men. For the disciples, they saw a prostitute, a harlot that, that should have been avoided. And, and it was an culturally offensive for a Jewish rabbi like Jesus talking with a woman alone, not just a, any woman, but a, a prostitute that was well known in the community. Abba, Jesus, why did you go this far? Because he saw that woman was white, ready to be harvested. Do you know that sometimes some of the things that will hinder us from witnessing to people is because of what people will say about us? Huh? It's because of what people will say about us. You know, some years ago, I used to go to the market. I would sit down in the market because the people I was targeting they were selling fish in the market. I would go to them. I don't know how else to connect them. Because they are in the market from morning till night. By the time they are going home in the night, they are already spent. You can't you can interact with them meaningfully. So I began to go to them in the market. We will, I will sit down there with them in the market. They will give me fish. You know this smoked fish now. I will sit down there. I will eat the fish. I will interact. We will, are you getting it now? My deeper life brethren, when they come to the market and they see me, they will be very angry. They say, how you, man of God, why are you coming condescending this law? Interacting with people and eating their fish in the market. <laughs> I will laugh. I say, what's your business now? What's your business? These are, these are my target people. These are the people I am targeting. Where else will I meet them? They are here in the market all the time. Will I come with a, a holiness that is so holy that I will not eat their fish? If they give me fish and I eat, and by eating, we are interacting and you know, sharing together, is that a sin? No. But because they placed me at a pedestal that I refused to sit on, they were offended. 
I said, well, it's your problem. If you are offended at this, that's okay. I don't see any offense. So long as I am doing what the master wants me to do. If I had subjected myself to the to the to their expectation, what would have happened? I would have avoided uh, those fish sellers. So that I will look spiritual, I will look a man of God in their sight, isn't it? But here was Jesus. The disciples never expected him to come this low to speak to a prostitute. Honestly speaking, we, when we see a soul, whether he's, whether he's selling um, roasted corn on the streets, or he is seated in the tallest office in Enugu, as far as Jesus is concerned, if they are not saved, they are at par in his sight. So if we have the grace to, to climb up, to meet the soul up there, climb there and meet him there. If we have the privilege to come down to the streets to meet the ones selling roasted corn, please, by all means, come down there. Meet him or her where they are. Jesus saw the harvest very wide. Souls of men around us here, they are white. White everywhere, ready for harvest. Don't think that, okay, they are not ready to be saved. Okay, let me bring it this way. You know most of the Muslims that are here in this city or in the south, do you know the average Christian doesn't see them to be ready for harvest? Most people think that, ha, these are only a lakbar. These people, they are terrorists. These people, they are bandits. These people, they are headsmen. These people, they are wicked people. Yes, they are. But every man who is outside Christ is a wicked man. So, because of the wrong, the way we are seeing people, we don't, our hearts are not stricken often with compassion. One of the things I keep praying for myself, and I don't know when I will end that prayer, is God, fill my heart with compassion. Fill my heart with compassion so that when I see sinners in their wretchedness, I won't despise them. I won't just say, um, see this drunkard. Um, you know, um, you know, um. no. That he is in that wretched state is enough to strike something in our heart. That if he had been gathered into Christ, he won't, he won't be like that. So the harvest is white. Let me quickly rush. Number, um, the, number four. The harvest is plenteous. Very plenteous. We return back to Matthew um, 9 where we left. Matthew 9. Uh, the harvest is plenteous. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous. But what's the problem? The laborers are few. See how plenty people are all around us. You know, sometimes I will enter market and I will just be looking at people. I will just be looking at people. Or enter, enter my go to Lagos. I will be looking at people. I, the question I'm asking in my mind, what are they looking for? 
Are you understanding this? Everybody seems to be busy pursuing something. What are they looking for? From morning till night, everybody is busy. What are they looking for? Of course, because there are multitudes, many are not aware of their lostness. It's plenteous. If we begin to go out to evangelize everywhere, even when you have spent all your day pursuing sinners, they are still plenteous all around. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Number five, Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 20. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 20. Anyone who sees it can read for us. Jeremiah 8, 20. Yes. The summer is ended. Yes. And we are not saved. There is a cry. There is a cry. There is a cry from the men who are supposed to be harvesting. What's that cry? The harvest is past. The summer is ended. But we are not saved. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. Time is running out. We are helpless. Our hope is dashing away. We are not saved. And I always say, if the children of Ishmael around us are not saved, we are not safe. If they are not saved, we are not safe. The cry from the harvest feed is that you people will sit in your churches and you will not come to tell us about your Jesus. We are not saved. Time is running out. We are not saved. May God help us to keep hearing the cries of the rotting harvest around us. We are not saved. All right. Now, I will jump to point three before I come back to the second point. The point three talks about is actually addressing the problem in the second point. What well, the second point is the short supply of laborers. Jesus said, the harvest is plenteous, but unfortunately, the people who were to do the harvest, to harvest the souls of men, they are what? They are very few. And when Jesus made that statement, let us bear in mind that the whole of Jerusalem was filled with what now? With the religious people. The whole of the land was filled with religious people. The Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all kinds of religious people. They were, they were, the land was filled with religious people. But Jesus was still crying that the laborers are few. We will return back to that you know, as we begin, when we get to, be, to close. Now, point three is how do we raise laborers? We all have identified that there's a short supply of laborers. And even as Jesus is saying that, we know that the whole of this city is filled with 
Christians, isn't it? With believers, isn't it? Filled the whole of the southeast, the whole of Nigeria is filled with religious people, Christians supposedly, but Jesus, who knows the state of the harvest, who also is the Lord of the harvest, is saying, ah, the harvest of the laborers are few. So how did he begin to resolve the problem? Mark chapter, let's, um, Mark, okay, let's take from the first point he did was the issue of prayer. What was the, what did he tell the disciples? He said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will do what? He will send. How do we solve this problem of short supply of laborers? Pray the Lord of the harvest. That every day we must pray, God, send more laborers. Send more laborers. Send more laborers. Send more laborers. And as we are praying, <laughs> we must be listening. You know, there's what we call listening prayer. You must be doing listening prayer. Don't just speak in tongue. And you pause and you go away. No. Let's do listening prayer. Now, when he told the disciples to pray the Lord of the harvest, you know, if you look at um, chapter 10, they became the answer to their prayers. Isn't it? In chapter 10, after Jesus had laid the burden of prayer in their heart, what, did, what happened in chapter 10? He, he called them. He said, okay, you have come back from your retreat. You have come back from your prayer. Now he called them. He said, and when he had called, on, called unto him his, his 12 disciples, what did he do? He gave them power and all of that and sent them out. When we are praying genuinely, most of the times, we ourselves will become the answers to our own prayers. As we pray, God, send more laborers. Let us not do like, here, I'm, uh, here, I, um, here I am, send it on. No, here I am, send it on. As we are praying, God, send more laborers. Let there be a willingness in your heart because he may decide to recruit you after all. So we must not be people who pray and are not willing to become answers to our own prayer. So how to raise the laborers? Pray the Lord of the harvest. The Lord of the harvest, he knows how to recruit men. Praise God. And he knows how to recruit me. He knows how to recruit you as we pray. Number two, if you look at Matthew, Mark chapter 3. Mark 3, 5, uh, 15, 16. Mark chapter 3. Let's borrow few lessons from how Jesus raised laborers. Mark 3, 15 and um, 16. All right, in Mark chapter 3, verse 15. Okay, no, let me take from verse 13 rather. He goeth up to a mountain and called unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And, no, sorry, yeah. But he go up to him, he called unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. Verse 14, and he ordained twelve that they should be with him, 
and that he might send them forth to preach. How did Jesus begin to resolve the problem of the short supply of laborers? He recruited people to be with him. And he ordained them to be with him and that he will send them forth to preach. Okay, let's go to chapter 6. I'll tie the two together uh, uh, because our time is running out. Uh, Mark chapter 6, okay, um, verse 7 to 8. Mark 6, 7, 8. Verse 7. And he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He called unto him the twelve. He began to send them two by two. So if he called the twelve and sent them two by two, so how many places did they go to? Six places. Isn't it? He sent them out two by two. Okay? Into different communities or different areas within the town. Okay? Now, um, let's look at um, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. It's, it's, a, it's a similar story. Luke chapter 9, verse 7, no, verse 1 and 2. Then he called his disciples, his 12 disciples together, and gave them power and authority over all devils. And to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God. How? To preach the kingdom of God and to heal them. Okay? He called the twelve. Uh, Luke didn't use the word two by two. He called the twelve and sent them out to preach. Okay? Let's, go, let's look at chapter 10. Chapter 10. Chapter 10 verse 1 and 2. And 3. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. I think one version uses 72. He appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore, he said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest, that he will send laborers to his harvest. Now, what do we take from this, all of these verses? Jesus, from the very beginning, when he was recruiting people into discipleship, he has had, had eyes on them, to send them out always for outreach. To send them two by two. That became his lifestyle. It was not known with Jesus that he would gather men and sit over them and continue to teach them and teach them and teach them endlessly. No. Anytime people gathered around Jesus or he gathered men around him, he would always send them out. How do we do, how do we employ this time. I'd like us to know that 
in every unit of the church, we must, we must always go out two by two. Is it clear? Can the choir go out for outreach two by two on a given day? Yes. The choir mistress. All of you today, after finishing choir, <laughs> two by two, if there are 20 or 30, how many places will they go? 15 or 10 places. Send them out like that. What about uh, or any other unit? The same thing. In our own small ways of planting small, small churches, some Sundays after Sunday school, everybody go to the streets. Go to Artisan and preach one hour. And then we return back to continue church. We must begin to send people out two by two. If, you know, one day I was, I was thinking, you know, Dunamis, you know Dunamis in Abuja. I think it's the largest auditorium now. Uh-huh. Hundred, is it hundred thousand they say? Okay. I was thinking, I said, ha, God help this my brother. That imagine one day people feed that auditorium and say, all of you listen today. Today, no worship. Today, no praise. Today, nothing else. We are all going to go out two by two all over Abuja. How big is Abuja that they will not cover? Would they be able to cover? Yes. So, all those people who, has, who will be seated two by two, two by two to Nyanya, two by two to Gariki, two, send them everywhere to cover everywhere. That's the style Jesus showed us. This practice of gathering people all the time and feeding them, feeding them, feeding them with the word of God without opportunity for expression has made people to develop deep spiritual constipation. That they are always, always receiving, but no time for proper digestion, no time for even exercising. We must repent. I used to think again, I go around this town, in this city, I say, ha, ah, what will happen if one day we say, everybody, we will go to the streets two by two, two by two, two by two. Two by two. How big is this city that will not cover it? But see, we are not often employing the method that Jesus used to evangelize the world. Himself was going from village to village. The disciples were following him also. But there were times he would say, all of you, go here. And when he's sending them out like that, sometimes he gave them instructions that were very surprising. He said, just go. Even the money they had in their pocket, say, all of you, drop your ATM. <laughs> Just go. <laughs> they say, okay, won't we eat? Say, go. The laborer is worthy of his wages. Go. And as they go, you know, sometimes they came back, he would ask them, when I sent you out, did you lack? What was their answer? They said, no. They said, I told you, the laborer is worthy of his wages. This, may God help us, that erasing people, in our various churches, we will not just have people coming to church from Monday to Sunday. From January to February, they have not gone out to witness. That's not the way we saw Jesus raise men. 
we must raise people who are not afraid of going. I hope you know that the harvest, where the harvest is, is not in the church. It's not within the church. Ideally, those who are in the church are those who are actually saved, who are growing to become harvesters. And then, is it in the band that we, we harvest? Is it in the band that we have? The church is a band. The harvest is where? It's outside, outside the church. So if we bring men all the time to churches, feeding them all the time, they are making all the noise in the, in the, in the rumbu, in the barn. But the harvest is rotting in outside. What will happen when the harvest rotting outside? What will happen to the barn? The barn will be set on fire one day. Because the, the harvest is kept in the, in the barn, and because they are there, secluded in the barn, they lost sight that the harvest is outside. So what I'm saying is this. Every, every unit of the church, put, your, put days, specific times, when you send yourselves out. It could be the hospital, it could be outside the hospital, it could be anywhere, and thank God for this chapel. You are doing it. God bless you. I bear you record that in this city, I think, if I don't know, I know of you. But, Duke the Hacker, like the house man would say, there is still more to be done. There's still more to be done. Can we begin to strategically plan, you know, look at one area, strategically focus, pursue, pursue. People will be going two by two, two by two, two by two, all the time. And those who are involved in discipleship, of course, we should all be discipling people. But I have learned from Jesus that he will never be discipling people on end. He will, he will always send them out. And then they come back. You know, you remember the place, they came back and they gave him the briefing, how they went. And they say, ah, Lord, when we came back, we saw, the, the, when we went, even the demons were subject to us in your name. They were very excited. What did he tell them? He said, no, I know, I know. <laughs> I know. I even saw Satan when he was collapsing from heaven. However, don't rejoice in this. Rejoice in the fact that your names are written in the book of life. If they had not gone out, would they have known? Would they have known that demons were subject to them? No. I always tell people, God has given us the gifts that we need. Gift of healing. To raise the blind. To, to make the blind see. To raise the dead. But we may not see that those gifts working. Unless we do what? Unless we step out. Do we understand this? Unless we step out. So, he sent them out two by two. He raised men and sent them out. Now, when he sent seven... No, like, the, and I like the way Luke, Luke chapter 10 puts it. You know, the story in Luke chapter 10 is very exciting. He said, after these things, which means that he's, he, he continually sent people out. He will send them out once. He will send them out again. He will send them out again. He never stopped sending people out. Even when he was living, he was still sending them out. This is the style Jesus used. In, verse, in chapter 10, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. Now look at him. After he has appointed the 12 and was always sending them out, again he was looking for some other people to recruit. The Lord of the harvest is every day looking for laborers to recruit. If you go to Matthew, I think Matthew 20, what now, 21 or 22, you know, he, was, he will go in the morning to the labor market to recruit people. He will go again by, by 10, by, you know, he continued to go until in the evening. 
He sent them out. Now, in verse, he, says, he appointed other 72 or 70 also and sent them two and two before his face. Now, let me ask us. How many villages or how many areas of town did he send these 70 people? 35 places, isn't it? What does that suggest? That Jesus, before he sent people, he had done his personal survey of needy areas. Do you understand this now? He has looked around. He has done a survey of 35 locations where he needed to send men. And he looked for 70 people he looked for 70 people and did what? And sent them into those 35 places. We must continue to look at our city or within our regions or within our area. Where are the needy areas that we need to focus on? When we have identified needy areas, we will come back and recruit more people. Of course, send them out again. Send them out again, whether for one hour or for a whole day or for a whole weekend. We must not be tired of sending men out. Because this is the method that Jesus had shown us. Sending people out all the time. So as we draw up, the problem is that the harvest is white. The harvest is great. The harvest is plenteous. The harvest is scattered harvest. Fainting people all around us. But the laborers are few. Even though the land is filled with so many people. You know, every day people are answering the call to ministry. I hope you know. Every day people are answering the call to ministry. Every day new churches are springing up. Every day new ministries are springing up. One would think, if you don't look carefully, one would think that Abba, everywhere the whole of this city is evangelized, isn't it? Looking at, the, looking at things on the surface, you will conclude that Enugu is a Christian state. But is it true? There are a lot of lost sinners that need to be saved. And the lost eyes are on you and I. The lost eyes are on this church. That is to say, even if all other churches in this city are not doing it, what shall we do? We will follow the step of the master. Can we pray? The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Will you offer yourself to be a laborer? Lord, I want to be a laborer. We can't even talk about who a laborer is. Laborers are men who are willing to get dirty, to get the job done. Can you say, Lord, I want to be an answer to my own prayer. As I'm praying to send laborers into your harvest feed, I myself, here am I, send me. Look at where you walk or where you live. How are you seeing the condition of the harvest? Just look at men around you. Are you seeing them the way Jesus is seeing them? Can you ask him, Lord, open my eyes. He told the disciples, open your eyes. Can we cry and say, Lord, open our eyes to see. Open our eyes to see the way you are seeing. 
men around us help us to see them the way you are seeing them lord help me when he saw the multitudes his heart was filled with compassion can we say lord fill my heart with compassion when i see the multitude of men who are scattered outside you fill my heart with compassion men who are harassed and oppressed by the devil because they have they have not been brought under the shepherd can we say lord fill my heart with compassion these days many people are embittered many believers are hot yes but can we say lord heal my heart fill my heart with compassion for men who are lost who are scattered who are fainting let's pray that lord will he will open our eyes to keep seeing men correctly we will not see them and be seeing just their physical appearances we will not see them and see how wonderful they are but we will see and check if they are in Christ or outside him in Jesus name and Father, we thank you for showing us your heart concerning the harvest. We pray that you will heal our eyes, heal our sight of every blindness that has prevented us from seeing men the way you see them. Show us mercy, heal us that we will see men exactly the way you see them. Fill our hearts with compassion. Lord, in, in times like this, we need you, oh God, to fill our hearts with compassion, with love for men who are lost, whether they are lost in Islam or lost in religion, whether they are lost in the church or lost outside the church. Oh Lord, Fill our hearts with compassion and use us as laborers that as you send us out two by two, may we return rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. We're going to break into groups for the practical discussion. The discussion is an effective Christian leadership. The challenges, how to handle the challenges and then practical steps that we can take. Please, let's take note as we discuss if there are issues that within the 40 minutes we are not able to exhaust. Just keep them, the person taking note. Note them. When we come later for interaction, we will discuss it together. Groups 1 to 3, who can give us your practical answers to practical discussion 1? Groups 4 to 5 to 6, give us your suggestions in discussion two and groups seven to nine. One person.
I was told in my group somebody was to be a repeter, and I guess that is what other units did. So which of the units in groups one, two, three is volunteering? Question one. Okay, first one. Which of the units in groups four to six is volunteering for question two? By the eagerness with which they answer, you shall know them. Okay? Which of the groups in seven to nine for question three? Which of the groups? Which group, sir? Eight, sir. Which group, Dr. Mrs. Sinkiru? Six. Which group, ma? One. Group one. Let's start with one, two, and then the third question. The first question discussed the impediment to effective Christian leadership. We noted that one is not leading by example from Matthew 23, 1 to 5, not doing what we see. And number three, pursuing dishonest gain. Uh, when as leaders we are not sensitive to the needs of our members we noted that everyone does not have the same level of spiritual development and so as leaders we should be sensitive when we are not sensitive it's an impediment to our leading then when we are not dedicated to what we are supposed to do like the one that was here and there doing other things then when our perception is that we are leaders and we are at the top and we're looking down on those with uh, under us should i continue we have a lot of them okay you're giving us three give us two more five okay take home leading in our own way and not in god's way not developing the ability to hear from God and when we are not servant leaders. Thank you. Thank you. Any other very burning contribution to question one? Burning. That if you do not say it, the Holy Spirit will not be happy with you. Neka. Okay. I don't know that the Holy Spirit will not be happy. That's why I put that question that way. So if it is one that's may not be said you save the time but since you are praise, standing okay praise the lord in verse 5 of matthew where we read verse 5 said that they like people to see them so we also stressed eye service when you're just occupying the position so that people will see it reflect your ability okay. they serve with people in mind not with eye of god upon them thank you question two question two says suggest ways of handling hindrances. We read some portions of the Bible to guide us and uh, when we considered Mark 1.35 we could make out that being prayerful prayerful, we pray. We looked at the things that were hindrances and we said that we could pray all the time bearing in mind the things that could hinder us. Pray for personal that God will help us to overcome all those issues and uh, help us to be better positioned to lead. We also knew when we, looking at what Ezra did, Ezra 7.10, we could make out that studying the world can open our eyes, can give us access to God, to help us to know the mind of Christ, you know, at all times. So, uh, studying the word of God puts us in a better position to lead, because almost everything we need as leaders, 
they are found in the Word of God, and God can speak to us as we study the Word of God. We also noted that we needed to repent of our sins. You know, and Nehemiah started by repenting. You know, repented for himself, for his people, for his land. In other words, as he repented, he also went into intercession, asking God to forgive, to help. And uh, we were able to identify that when we do all this, we may be able to overcome the hindrances that uh, stop us as leaders. Thank you. Thank you very much. Question three. Prof, our own is not actually a question, but the practical way one can uh, live as a Christian or be effective in the area of your leadership. So it's just um, we, we got our, we came to a conclusion from what we have seen from question one and two, that for us to be an effective leader, we have to develop the habit of uh, prayers. We have to make prayer <clears throat> part of our lifestyle. And then we have to be focused in our job. You have to know your job description as a leader. Because when you have overlapping functions, you can be like that man who, has, who, who was asked to watch over a king. And because he's busy here and there, the, the captive escaped. So you have to be exact on what you are supposed to do as a leader so that you can be effective in that. Again, we have to make uh, the study of Bible. We saw in Ezra that he was first of all, he first of all, he was, he liked what he wanted to do. He first of all committed himself to that and then studied the word of God before he was able to teach it to others. Most of us are imposed leadership on and because of that we falter. But if we make ourselves available because we want to be leaders in this area, then we begin to look into the word of God, to study the word, and then we can, we'll be able to teach effectively. And then our lifestyle also matters, because um, we can't be living a wayward life, and at the same time, we expect people to listen to us when we are preaching to them. We have to look into our lives, self-examination or evaluation at times, so that you find out whether you are still in line of uh, leadership. Thank you. Thank you. So, borrowing from that last suggestion, where you are leading, zonal leader, men, women, drama unit leader, men, women, uh, Bible study unit, whichever service, um, ask yourself evaluation. What did God tell us in line with the vision for the year? Where are we now? That's why I gave you the statistics. It's part of it on the general level. Where are we now? What was the agreement with God on these units moving forward? What has happened? What did I agree with God in terms of influencing and touching the place where I am leading and serving? How far has that gone? That can propel us to keep an eye on the ball what God has called us. And I will just stress, can we read First Kings 20, with which we will close? First Kings 20, that's the problem the church now has. That's the problem an enlightened church like us here also has. 
That's the problem. But that is also God's delight. God's delight is in putting to work people who are busy already. Check the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Anyone God engaged in any act of service for the kingdom on leadership was busy already. Why? They learned the principle of focus. They learned the principle of achieving maximally. They learned the value of accountability for what they are asked to do rather than the man who is looking for what to do with time. That's God's method. But it's a busy problem for most of us. So look at First Kings 20, 39, 40. And as the king passed by, he cried unto the king and said, Their servant went out into the midst of the battle. Behold, a man turned aside and brought a man to me. He said, Keep this man. If by any means he be missing, then shall your life be for his life. Or else you shall pay a talent of silver. And as your servant was busy, complete the phrase, here and there he was gone. My focus, my target of leadership, the area God said this year, remain there. There are so many themes to take on each year on Christianity. He says, remain here, go you. So every attention draws there. He gives you a unit in GRA Zone 1 and says, the men who are here, walk them up for me. Impact their lives for the kingdom. And it will remain an eternal dividend. He tells you, the people who are in drama unit, publicity unit, affect their lives for the better. Singular mission, clear focus. But I said, no, God, I must make a name for myself as well. I must be the publicity secretary of this group. I must also be the president of the Barakbo Union. I must be involved in this one. My CV this year must count for something. Who are you presenting the CV to? And so I became busy where? Here and there. And by level of your training, exposure, experience, qualification, anywhere you are, they will naturally want you to come into leadership. If many of you are in our groups, or you belong to any other association, even Christian, well, Christian, as in, they will naturally make you the treasurer. Open them with a chairman, a vice chairman, so that you can curtail his excesses. It's not all the positions that you must accept. They make you busy doing not much. Sometimes busy not doing anything. And many of the times, that's what the English people call being in motion without any movements. When you are going around the circle, what are you doing? You are in motion, aren't you? You are not static. But are you making any positive movements? No. That's how it is. So determine. If God has committed this to your church, if that's a singular thing, I'm not saying go and withdraw from all the other groups. But learn also how to use the wisdom of God and give it your best. Where is God asking me to focus to make impact in this year? Then it can help you. And overcommitment is the problem of many of us. And then inability to say no. Say, oh, sorry, kaima, sorry, kaima, sorry, No, bro, sorry, kaima. 
that language will always distract a focused leader or a person. And as we are discussing it, maybe I will share just a few examples, as it were. The year that I was asked to head the head guy here, because they have been comatose for a while, quoting uh, Dr. Edith Chichepele, because he was the one who was led. I would have said if he was not just certain who conspired by then, he was led to make that call. And I said, no, my hands are busy. They said, please get us up. Get us up to be able to hold the reason why we've undergone this training and impact other lives. And I said, God willing, first year, second year, third year, we're able against us to hold the national trainings. I knew that was my main purpose for there. Get them up, let them be able to work as a unit. Distinguished men and women who have committed a lot, they've made commitments, and they are not living up to it. And able to now impact others. And I said, no, I'm done here. He said, no, we need more years, we need more. I said, I'm done. The national chairman, Oshewa, said, no, please, we need you more, Sam, one more year. I said, sir, with all due respect, there are other people. When they come up, you will see they are equally indispensable. I stopped. We were the foundation secretary for the Diocesan Medical Board that got the Good Shepherd Hospital. And you know, in some organizations, the secretary is the engine room. He's the one who reminds the chairman. He's the one who says, chairman, let's do this. So if the secretary is docile, the place is virtually not going. And he walked that way. But the moment, it was six years. He said three years first, three years second. I insisted. I said, chairman, we must go. He said, son, I said, chairman, we must go. If you are staying, I'm going. Let's tell the archbishop or bishop, our tenure is over. So let's tell him, our tenure is over. Until he did that. We asked another group to take over. Yes, there was a lot of work to do. Others can do that work. There's another area to have work, a focus. Scripture Union Supporters Fellowship. When he came to Enugu nearly 1998, am I right, sir? Or thereabout, or 2008. Yes, 1998. They said, please, we need people to get this started and to get it going. Many of our senior friends are out. We need to get them back. Fine. Secretary again. But then the engine work was there. When we had gone for 10 years, I said, Sir, Venerable Dr. Nwasi then, Professor, Sir, our tenure is over. He said, Sir, I said, our tenure is over. He said, Sir, I said, our tenure is over. We handed over. The group is there now. Some others, they are continuing. It's not my business. But my business is what is God asking you to focus on? Hit the target and then leave the others. Learn to say no. When I came nearly because of my schedule of work, sometime housemanship, I would fellowship with Scripture Union, Abakeleke. When I came to Enugu, sometimes ASU, when I got so busy, I said, okay, some of the Thursdays, the full gospel near my house in New Heaven met. No, first at Ababa. Let me join them. I need spiritual refreshment. Better than staying and staying still and overworking, as many doctors do. I joined them. And of course, people may rejoice, so they have known you. And I knew that this one, sometimes they may pray. People may pray. I didn't say they. People may pray. They may not pray. Anytime election was announced, they won't see me in fellowship until the election has finished. And they say, 
I said, I came here to sit and refresh, not for any leadership. I came. They will tell the others, no. I said, no. Learn to say no and mean it. And give an alternative. And provide the reason. Then you can be focused. You will drop some of the being busy here and there. You can focus a little more on what God has asked you that can yield dividend. You'll be productive. The greater glory will be to God. And the Bible says in First Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, He who uses the office of a bishop, but that means leadership, well, purchases to himself what? A great degree and great boldness in the faith. I have experienced it. At each point when there is something that matters, whether it's professional, whether it's ecclesiastical, or whether it is any other, you don't need a struggle. It's like God says it is time, and you yourself will also know when the time is up. I said I'll give you a few examples. I don't want to go forward because of our time. But in your service, the moment they took you, I think it was there, I said, they said, well, Sam, they gave me a gospel then, a gospel according to men. Sometimes it is good to be good. Sometimes it is good not to be good. If we are not so good in the youth call camp, the director who asked for the best copper to be posted to his village will not have uh, found you eligible. When they say that, you are the only one going to the village without light, without water. That was where I practiced getting water from a brook and seeing the particles below and having to buy alum to boil water to be able to take a bath. The rest is history. But a day to when my day was to stay and there, I just had a witness. Your stay here has ended. They brought a signal. They need you at a lorry. I say, why? The copper lesson officer said, look, pack your things. I don't know. I don't know for how long. Maybe they told him, but he didn't tell me. I got back there. They said, come and take over the NYC clinic for the rest of your time. But we have already implanted a crusade that never held in that village where they were full of charms. So focus on what God has told you. Use it reasonably. These things that keep you busy here and there, see you up and down. God himself does your CV. He announces you. Anywhere. If you doubt me, try it. You will see it is true in Jesus' name. And you won't have a need. Let's do this work. Let's see how the people do. Let us do it willingly. Let us do it that we give an account. But give an account with joy. See the people whom he has committed unto us as our prize, as our joy. As a trophy that we should account for on the last day. Are they better with God? Have they gone away? Look for them. Bring them into the fold. Make the sacrifice. None of them is in vain. The Lord himself renew your strength. Quicken you and the labor of love you minister to the saints. And continue to minister in Jesus name. Shall we stand? Shall we stand? Shall we take this song of dedication? And shall we tell the Lord... Thus far have you led us. You will lead us further. We will double the work. We will bring many more souls into the kingdom. But we will also nurture them. The much you give us grace and wisdom. We will not be in comparison with any man. We will not compare ourselves with ourselves. We will keep on the job. We will not be busy here and there. We will arrive. Well done. Good and faithful servant. May that be a portion in the name of Jesus Christ. God has got an army.
marching through the land. Deliverance is their song, healing in their wings. Yes, everlasting joy with gladness in their heart. In this army, I have got a path. I have got a path. God has gathered me, marching through the Deliverance is the song, healing in their wings, everlasting joy, with gladness in their heart. In this army, I have got a path. That is my prayer. God has come on me. Marching through this land. Deliverance is your song. With healing in their way. Everlasting joy. With gladness in their heart. In this army, I have got a part. That's my desire. God has done me. Marching through the slide. Deliverance is your soul. With healing in their way, everlasting joy, with gladness in their heart. Oh, in this army, I have gone apart. Heavenly Father, may that song of consecration be worked out in our lives in truth and indeed in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, cause that our eyes will open not only to the harvest that is ripe and see men not as trees. We see their lack. We see their need. We see their hunger for the gospel and be motivated the way you see them with compassion to reach out and never rest on our oars in the name of Jesus Christ. Help us in this same wing, O Lord, to bring deliverance to as many as you have committed unto our charge in the course of Christian duty and service. Lord, souls, not paper. Souls, not material. Souls, not equipment. Souls, not inanimate objects. Souls, not just reports that are flamboyant. Souls, under our charge, big or small, help us bring deliverance to their troubles in the name of Jesus. Help us be objects of healing to their spiritual state in the name of Jesus. Help us, Spirit of God, that we can raise them, everyone, Lord, to be perfect, mature, more, 
deeper, nearer to you, reasoning more with kingdom mindset and precepts, better than they were when you put us under oversight over them. Help us to bring healing to them in the name of Jesus Christ. That there will be everlasting joy, but as the souls are coming from without, and the ones within see your grace made manifest in their lives. May we also have fulfillment. May we have the witness of the Spirit confirmed when we are getting it up and when we are straying up. And Lord, strengthen us in this good work in the name of Jesus. Lord, strengthen us to see how our brethren do. Strengthen us to have the mindset and compassion. To raise them in prayer. To raise them by contact in diverse means. By phone call. By text messages. Even by mails. And even by personal visits. Lord, to lift them up and bring them up to maturity in you. This we will do with your enablement and the power of your grace and commitment in our lives in the name of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, the excess baggages we carry that make us busy here and there, that we think make us to be announced to the world when you have a CV already and we just need to fit it in. And you told us to be faithful in that which you have committed unto our church. We should just wait for the degree that purchases to us a greater standing. Lord, make us realize that. Focus on your work. Give it our best. Labor with our hearts, with our mind. Commit all that we are. And see you bring the increase in the lives and joy in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, the burdens we may carry are not because we have no problems. That's why he appointed us as leaders. No. The people Jesus called to follow him were men who had the worst baggages. Some of them were terrorists like Simon the Zealot. Some of them were fishermen who all they knew was just fishing. Some of them were farmers. Some of them were illiterate. They had never gone to any formal school. Some of them were the greatest doubters like Thomas. Yet, for each one of those lives, Jesus mended them, built them, brought the best out of them, except the son of perdition. Lord, this is our desire. You said, follow me and I will make you. As we put our hands on the plow to serve at whatever level, Lord, make us in the name of Jesus. Make our lives spiritually to be able to inspire followership in the name of Jesus. Make us, Lord, in our professions and careers on account of your mercy because your word is clear. If we seek first the kingdom and seek secondly your righteousness, the things that the men of the world spend time, energy, and resources pursuing, you just add them unto us. Lord, give your children here one by one this experience at whichever level of endeavor we are in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, make us that our spiritual state we make heaven as well. Do it and those who are under us to the glory of your name. This is our joy. Preserve us. Preserve our health. Preserve our families. Even when the enemy knocks in here, Lord, he will flee seven ways in the name of Jesus. The afflictions that come over our ways, many of them, you say, may come to your son or your daughter, but you will grant victory over every one of them. So will it be with us here. Health, affliction, affliction in any other means, temporary loss of job. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you that the things that come around us 
will bring glory to you. Strengthen us as we live here now. May we carry your presence. May we carry your energizing. May we carry your instruction. May we carry your burden. May we carry your compassion. That people who see us will take notes that we have been and we continue with Jesus. Reflect your glory through our lives and bless our endeavors. In Jesus' name we pray. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be and abide with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, shall dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. Amen. The Lord bless you.